0: I'm Elliot Berman, Creative Director here at AML Right Source, and I'm glad to welcome you to another episode of Frankly Speaking. I'm here today with uh, Frank Ewing, the CEO of AML Right Source, and David Buxton, the Chief Product Officer at AML Right Source. And today we're going to talk about uh, b- the broad use of technology um, in the uh, financial crimes compliance space. So, Frank. Um, I know that uh, this is something that's a passion of yours. Uh, We've used technology in its various forms in the company since the company formed, but technology continues to advance. And um, we're really at the threshold, I I would say a rapid advance. So uh, why don't you start off the conversation and let us know what your vision is for how technology is gonna move things forward in the space in the next uh, short time. Sure.
1: Yeah, before, before I start, let me welcome back our tens and tens of, of listeners around the globe. And uh, particularly, David, I don't know if, if you knew this. Um, well, I'm sure you do because you listen to all the episodes, but uh, we have a very strong following in Peru. So uh, special shout out once again to our Peruvian <laughs> friends. Uh, appreciate the appreciate the clicks. Um, you know, look, Yeah. I, I think technology is, you know, it's everywhere, right? I mean, and, and the notion of technology and business, especially B2B, you know, businesses is, you know, open your LinkedIn, right, or, or whatever. And, or, or you know, flip a, a uh, flip a, a publication of of the Harvard Business Review, and, and all you're going to read about and see is, is, you know, kind of technology transforming um, business. And we live it too, right? I mean, uh, you know, whether it's Amazon or Apple or, or, or whatever else, but I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I, I think it's a great thing. And um, I, I think, you know, when we think about technology you know it's it's interesting right because we're kind of have largely been over the last seven years a kind of a human capital business but you know if you're really talking about you know fighting financial crime or or just actually you know kind of doing compliance better you know i think we all can agree that you know there, there will always be an element of of human capital involved um to to the work but the work can be done better. Um, the goal of the work, if the goal of the work is actually to to find and suss out, you know, uh, nefarious characters and nefarious schemes and activities, um, well, certainly technology is probably the best uh, avenue to accelerate that journey uh, and to get better answers along that journey. And so, you know, I look at, at technology as friend, not foe, and and I think you know that's something that that we should all embrace. Um, but like anything that is an accelerant or an advancement, whether it's a, you know, kind of a medical, a a drug or a procedure or anything, you know, it's a continuum and and it's not a panacea, you know, and and so you have to view technology in the sense of it's going to make life better, but it's not going to solve every problem. So I I think if you take that approach, you know, you, you find yourself in a position where, Um, you know, you are realistic about the ends um, and use technology to to really create some much better means. And and I think if you get to that place, you get some great outcomes. So.
0: David, you've been in the technology space for uh, a good share of your career. Um, How do you view the use of technology in the space? Um, Well, I think
2: there's a couple of places, to sort of things that we should probably define, uh, you know, if we're going to answer that, if I'm going to answer that for you. So I think one thing is, you know, financial crime is a pretty broad term. And I think that the reality is that masks a number of different sins, right. So I guess the, the biggest ones that we think about on a daily basis are probably um, uh, anti money laundering and fraud. And those are, although they seem on the surface to be somewhat similar, they actually have really different customer characteristics and actually the solutions that you need to fight them have different characteristics. And and in fact, the way that you would test solutions also have different characteristics. So for instance, money laundering cases are, Um, have a big problem which is that you don't really ever know if you found one right unless you happen to get you know the kind of FBI involved and they actually knock on the people's door and they tell you that you were right you know it's very difficult for you to do anything other than say like actually based on what I know about the totality of the world this doesn't quite fit you know the we're getting personalities involved that don't work with the transactions with the volumes with the purchases etc it doesn't make sense yeah whereas fraud is like a slightly different thing you're really saying you've got a pretty strong incentive for people who are defrauded to actually tell you about it <clears throat> right in a way that enables you to create a kind of gold standard or a truth set basically that enables you to, to build in a slightly different way you can build more on an outcomes based basis rather than um on on the basis of applying a set of kind of more or less sort of intuitive human criteria so you end up with quite different systems to do that and you also end up with like you know fraud frankly being an easier problem to solve Because you can apply the wealth of different advancements in technology over the last, well, 50 years, but broadly speaking over the last like five years, right, in terms of machine learning and artificial intelligence, to let systems kind of go wild and actually like work out what the characteristics of a fraud are that are hidden in the data. Whereas with money laundering, frankly, the the sets are too small for you to ever kind of apply that kind of outcome-based logic. You have to be looking at at, at smaller, more granular areas, right, to to make sense of it. Um, So that's sort of, I guess, the, you know, the main starting point is just to kind of differentiate between the the different areas. Um, And then I guess the other thing to say is that, you know, we're not just talking about a single activity, right? There's lots of different processes, lots of different um, success criteria, and you've got lots of different human actions, some of which are easily reducible to technical problems, right? So, you know, a good example might be something um, like reducing the noise, right, in a data set from a human's point of view, you might be saying, look, I just want to, I can, I can tell for sure that these things are irrelevant and I can train an algorithm to do that. Um, and then there's some things where actually human judgment is really important, you know, being able to really assess the context of a situation with you to with, with sort of reference to all sorts of different parameters which might not be easily kind of capturable by some sort of technical system. So, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, I started Arachnus, which is now part of the animal rights family, you know, 10 years ago or so. And I guess that the way I feel about it, broadly speaking, is that although technology has really improved, at least if we're talking about anti-money laundering, right? I don't think that financial crime outcomes have really improved in that period. And I think that you know, we as technologists have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say sort of like, what, what's going wrong? And I think at Arachnus, our solution has basically been to say, look, it's, just, it's not just technology that's the solution it's all about having a sensible way of embedding technology in a broader process. Right. And the reason we were so excited to become part of the ML rights family was precisely in order to address this kind of challenge around, um, you know, can technology on its own solve things. And actually, you know, what we want to do is improve the effectiveness of financial crime fighting, because that's actually the sort of social benefit that, that I think we can bring
0: to the world. So I want to touch on something or dig down just a little bit on something, a phrase you use and that's advancements in technology. Uh, I've been in the space a really long time and um, it's interesting because in the last five to ten years the the, the volume of discussion about technology has increased substantially as if somehow we, you know, we discovered technology ten years ago um, and you talked about technology across a 50-year arc, and I think that that's a really important point for everybody to keep in mind. The technology we're talking about today is rapid advancement. It's around uh, being able to uh, gather and manage uh, much larger sets of data and really do something useful with them. Um, but we've been using technology since green bar reports were coming out of mainframes you know, in, the, in the 60s and 70s. And so the idea that technology just arrived is um, is really not, a? I think it's not a great way to look at it. And sometimes I think it's a barrier, you know, because people think, well, we don't need that new stuff. And they view all technology as new stuff as opposed to realizing it's an evolution. This is the next set of steps to, as you pointed out, David, uh, uh, squeeze out the noise, uh, clean up the data, and actually support, as Frank talked about, the human capital side so that we've got the smartest technology, the people, looking at the right stuff. And um, I think that's, um, I mean, not to go back to our acquisition conversation of last month, Frank, but I think that that's kind of where, you know, where all this fits together. And David, you said that at the end there, um, that really it's about uh, marrying the two together. So what are the, uh, Frank, from your perspective, what are the the next, the technology advancements that you and David have talked about that you really think are going to have the biggest impact in the next uh, short window of time?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing I'm going to do is go into the Google machine and figure out what a green bar mainframe is, because I don't know what you were talking about. So, really? Uh, I, you know, yeah, no, I mean, is that like in the Willy Wonka when they have the giant computer that is like, I'm not yep. telling the computer.
0: Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, okay. All right. Well, now, I'm, now I don't have to Google it. Uh, <laughs> You know, so I, you know, I guess in, in, in terms of advancements, you know, I, I do think it, it makes sense to take a 20 second time out here and talk about, you know, AI and machine learning, because mm-hmm. I feel like those two terms have been maybe um, conflated or bastardized or, or overused um, in terms of, of, of what we're actually talking about and what actually some technologies do, you know, or don't do. And I think, you know, the context that David brought it up and especially as it relates to fraud to kind of let the technology go wild uh, and look across, you know, multiple data sets, to look across multiple applications, to look across multiple, you know, parts or portions of, a, 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 you know, kind of attributes um, and, and on its own figure out kind of like what's happening, you know, to me, that's kind of AI, that's kind of machine, machine learning in, in, a, in a truer form. You know, a lot of times, I think really what we're talking about is like better mousetraps and having better algorithms, you know, that find, you know, you know, more, find less noise and more meaty things. You know, I I don't really know that I would call that AI. And I I do think there's a lot of kind of, you know, confusion in the industry about, you know, what what AI machine learning is versus, versus what it isn't. And and um, you know especially in the kind of in the investigations in in transaction monitoring world within uh, an anti money laundering uh, unit or department you know you know really a, a lot of this is you know the AI in my view and the machine learning is is more kind of on the back end um, and and attribute level and 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 really feeds ultimately the the algorithms but but let's just you know take a second right there and talk about the rules and the algorithms themselves. And, and there's a whole host of kind of just simple optimization and tuning that should be done at a threshold level before you're even ready for, for AI machine learning. And, 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 you know, the other thing here too is, and this is no fault of banks or financial institutions, is that, you know, if you want machines to do the right thing, you know, it's kind of the old proviso of garbage in, garbage out. And banks largely are the amalgam of other banks, which means, you know, um, you know, the, the integration of multiple mainframes and systems and, and arcane, you know, tech that they kind of just like mash together because they're on an integration timeline. Right. And, and ultimately what happens is they don't really have the, the all of the information to come up with precise, uh, precise information to come up with the right kind of inputs to have a good result. And so what you wind up with is having a, a lot of like half-baked, you know, solutions that 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 don't really ever come to fruition because they're not informed by good information. And so, you know, where do I think that the future is? Well, first, you know, I think the future is in investment and actually getting good information and data into the system, because that's the only way you're ever going to get good output. And then second, I think, you know, the, the world understands, especially in the, fin crime space you know to a to a bank to an institution that you know the conversion yield on you know uh, you know a, a set or series of, of, of algorithms is, is typically somewhere between like two and seven percent uh, and you know all I mean by that uh, to our friends in Peru is that you know if, if I look at a hundred a uh, hundred instances of potentially suspicious activity really only you know two or to seven of those hundred wind up I wind up with me telling the government, like, there might be something bad here. And, and so, you know, the notion is always to kind of shrink the, those false positives, those 90, 90, you know, 98 to 97 reviews, right? But, but it's more than that, because there's also false negatives. And there's also just things that you haven't, you don't have the background kind of data information to understand what you're not seeing. You know, kind of like the iceberg. Now you're only looking at 10% of the iceberg and there's a whole lot of stuff. And, and you know, I, I do think that the, the technology industry has to do a better job saying this isn't just about you know, us reducing volumes, this is actually about getting to the right answer, which is, you know, if there's nasty things happening within the context of your customers and your organization, like you need to find it. So I do think the future is actually kind of not just reduction of false positive and, and better algorithms and better data. I do think it's, it's, it's really trying to get to the, the core of the problem here, which is finding actually, you know, kind of, kind of
2: potentially suspicious activities and transactions.
0: David, how do we go about doing that?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of comparatively simple stuff that we can do to help organizations clean up their data in flight and enrich it in flight. So I think actually, really, when I think about the machine learning possibilities, um, I'm less enthused about the, um, uh, the ability of machine learning to really kind of replace uh, human, informed human judgments about, like, for example, the salience of a specific point of piece of information to a specific individual or entity. And I'm much more enthused by the ability of computers to solve really quite generic problems. Like, you know, does this, um, you know, is this Swift transfer actually going to this address? Like just doing dumb stuff, like cleaning up the addresses, right, automatically. Those are like reasonably well understood and well-formed problems that have application in multiple different domains. So a lot of the time it's about just applying techniques and lessons that we use for things like reformatting addresses when you send a package to someone off eBay, right? And, you know, uh, applying those in a, in a slightly different context. So I think that's one of it, but really understanding the domain is really important. Um, the way, I guess the way I think about it in general is that <clears throat> you've got, um, an there's a sort of pattern recognition thing or a sort of like pattern, you know, anomaly detection is like one term that's often used that's something that's potentially at the core of this, because what you're really looking for are customers who look different in some way. And interestingly, as I said, that, you know, one difference between anti-money laundering and fraud is that in frauds you've often got kind of spiky behavior and anomalous behavior in the sense that they do sort of unusual things and they are kind of choppy and move fast. Right. In anti-money laundering, if anything, customers are anomalous in the sense that they're like too normal, you know, they're like the kind of couple with like 2.4 children, right. You know, the statistical, impossible impossibility who knows if that's still true actually what i don't know what the the modern equivalent of 2.4 children is probably dates when you were born right what what you like when you what hated how many children i actually
1: just hope it rounds down to two yeah good point um yeah
2: so they're like you know that they're like the couple with 2.4 children uh you know who live in a statistically median neighborhood etc etc um and so um They, you know, their businesses grow, but they don't grow that fast. They always pay their bills on time. You know, they're like making every effort to stay off the radar. And if anything, like those are the cases where like, you know, sort of detecting people who are too perfect in a way I think can be really interesting. You know, that's a really interesting ability that advanced technology does have, that actually humans really struggle with. Like humans really are not good at that sort of thing. Like detecting like stuff that's too normal is not what we're really cued in for, right? We just kind of like scroll straight past that. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, normally detection is one thing. I think there's a lot of uh, places in uh, analyst roles where they're doing essentially rote work, which doesn't add value, as part of the track towards an objective, which does add value. So, you know, it's a bit like the way that in order to climb Everest, you don't just need to climb Everest, you've got to track to base camp. I think you might like, ride a helicopter there if you've got enough money, but like, you know, you've got to do the, the hike, basically. And so, you know, a lot of the actual time and money invested in analysts is actually spent with them not performing the role that they're uniquely suited to but instead you know doing essentially sort of administrative tasks you know it's that kind of preparatory work for the actual kind of you know slice of expertise and human judgment which they're good at and so I think a lot of where technology can actually help is is paradoxically in the stuff where uh which is not particularly specific to a financial crime or even like hard. It's just like those of very basic, um, you know, trimmings around the side of like what they do. And then, you know, and part of that is just stringing it all together and interfacing, I guess, with the broader processes that the business that they're part of is part of. And I think Frank sort of alluded to the fact that a lot of these organizations are amalgams of, you know, simpler organizations once upon a time, um, that have developed incredible complexity. And so, um, you know, a lot of the time there's, Uh, you know, the problems are not fundamentally technical in nature, they're political or, you know, policy-based, right? You know, you just get, like, wild changes of direction from from, uh, different parts of the organisation. But building a framework that can stitch together the different parts of the organisation can help align on process and enable processes to be changed and stuff. These are basic things that apply in all sorts of different domains as well. So I guess my my overall conclusion is, like, there is definitely some financial crime-specific stuff, and I think what that boils down to is probably... Better analytics to enable you to make more, more effective sense of the data and spot patterns quicker, and better data to as it were fill in the kind of ninety percent of the iceberg that you're not seeing immediately. Um, But the rest of that, I think, was quite a generic challenge in terms of like actually just stitching that overall challenge into the framework of the organisation itself. Um, And I think that's that's been the area that's been most difficult for us as well, right? As a as a technology provider historically, because you don't you don't give the customer a lot of value honestly by doing stuff that is very generic and you don't differentiate yourself, but it's, it's quite a lot of work. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think as as part of our overall technology strategy, we're recognizing we, we have to, we have to be able to like meet that demand.
1: Yeah. You know, and the the interesting, maybe the not so great thing is that, you know, the train doesn't stop moving. You're, you know, you're, you're doing this in flight, you know, and, uh, you know, it'd be one thing if, if, you know, we could have some sort of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, we, we could tell the, the, you know, the, the financial criminals to stop, we could tell the regulators to stop, you know, we could tell, uh, you know, the, the internal auditors to stop and, and give us six months to, to kind of sort things out and, and come up with a solution. Um, and, and, you know, while that was happening, just kind of pause those other activities but you know that's obviously unrealistic, and so you know you're you're always trying to, uh, to to do these things in flight, and you're also throwing in you know kind of you know budgets. Everybody knows that you know fighting financial crime in terms of financial institution is a cost center, right? And so you know there there's that element to it. There's a you know kind of an, a, a changing a dynamic, changing ecosystem, you know where you know kind of nouveau banks like Chime or, or 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 entities like PayPal or Square, you know, continue to just disrupt and disorient. You know, traditional notions of of financial institutions. You have schemes and scams that exploit. You know, those those things that continue to evolve and to change as the world becomes kind of more dynamic and flat. And, and so, you know, while all of this is happening in real time, it's it's just really challenging to to ever to ever get to a level where you feel comfortable about. About what you've created, whether it's you know a technology solution or a people-based solution, and, and, and so you know because of that, I, I think you know it, it's unfortunate because the power of some of the technology that you know we we see with Arachnus, quite frankly, and, and is is that you know if we had more time, right, and if we had a, a steady state universe, you know, you could actually solve problems better, <laughs> right? But we just don't live. We just don't live in that in that world. So it's a, a bit unfortunate, I suppose.
0: Yes, that is um, that is the case. I think the one thing you didn't mention in all that dynamic uh, change uh, we've just been through, and that's when the when the global, national, and global economies—oh, sure, yeah—these sudden lurching changes from unexpected trigger events like a pandemic or you know a uh, a recession back you know 10, 12 years ago, things like that, where suddenly all the patterns you've been trying to measure against. Have all changed and very suddenly, and so you know. Um, uh, and, and David, I'm sure that you know you, you you think about that all the time because it is the it's the other big wild card. I mean, you know, uh, Frank obviously listed a bunch of them, but um, that's the big moving one because we're looking, at least in certain parts of this, both fraud and AML, we're really looking we're looking at transactions and the transactions are in part a reaction to what's going on in the economy.
2: Well, the, the one really interesting kind of anecdote about that is that various customers have told me that the pandemic was actually one of the best um, AML of, uh, environments um, of the you know, past decade or so. Because what became very obvious during the pandemic was that a lot of businesses that shouldn't really, in theory, have been carrying on business as usual, you know, kind of ostensibly like restaurant chains and stuff, were like still growing at like 3% year on year with like (laughs) no obvious, you know. And <laughs> so no they like, didn't actually like react in quite the right way. And so in a funny way, it was like that kind of Warren Buffett quote. Of, it's not till the, you know, the tide goes out that you find out who's been swimming naked basically. Right. <laughs> you know, it, was, it wasn't until like there was this like broader kind of macro shift that it was possible to sort of see, like conduct a natural experiment almost as to how, how behavior would change. So yes, it, it, it may have actually created tons of new frauds and all sorts of different environments and like very dynamic, you know, like there's all this, coronavirus loans and stuff and stimulus checks and all sorts of things. But um, interestingly, it created an interesting environment in which um, anomaly detection was able to come into its own in a funny way.
0: Well, I want to thank uh, both of you uh, for chatting today. Um, This is a conversation that I'm sure we will pick up again in the future because, um, as both of you have mentioned, all of the components are moving at a very rapid pace. uh, Frank, as we've talked in other uh, things, when you're uh, building a car, as you drive it down the highway at 90 miles an hour, the first thing you put in is seatbelts, and so uh, I think that's what you know. We, we continually at ML Right Source look to do, um, but some people some people would say brakes. Some people, brakes? Would say brakes, but I appreciate, but I appreciate, I
1: appreciate seatbelts too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, maybe brakes. Um, you know, the problem is you don't feel like you can ever put on the brakes, even if you have them. So you're yeah, which is great. Why bother? I mean, sure. Right. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that uh, that um, our audience should take away from this is that um, something they already knew: things are changing rapidly. Um, technology is not a replacement for. Um, the human element. In fact, it's an opportunity to support the human element, the things that uh, we can do as people um, that the machines can't do. And so it's letting the machines take away the noise and the routine stuff to really let smart people focus on the really tough problems. And, um, and, you know, so will the shift of how you spend your dollars maybe change a little bit? Maybe. Um, But it's not like you're gonna look out there and just have blinking lights and not have staff. That's not gonna happen if you really wanna detect uh, what's going on, whether it's fraud or AML or other things. So, um, David, thanks for joining us. I I have some other topics in the back of my head that I'd uh, love to have you join Frank and I uh, down the road to talk about um, that we didn't get to today. And Frank, thanks again.